You may be seated in the house of the Lord. We're certainly grateful to God for each of you who've come to share with us on this morning. Amen. And even to our virtual virtual audience who we welcome at this time, we praise God for you joining us here in the sanctuary of Bright Temple here in Shelbyville, Tennessee. We welcome you, amen, to this space and to this place. And we pray that you will be encouraged by what you shall hear in the next few moments. And I praise God for each of you who've come to be with us. And we're going to conclude our series on this morning. We've been sharing all of the month of November. Hey, God, what's the plan? And we've talked in several instances relative to the questioning in terms of who. And we talked about the what. And we talked about uh, the when. And today we're going to kind of tackle both the why and the where. And, and our discussion as to, am I, God, why am I right here, right now? Why am I right here, right now? And we're going to get in a discussion of that in a few moments. In fact, if you'll follow us to St. Luke chapter 19, we'll be looking at the first 10 verses of St. Luke there. So if you want to get that in your Bibles, we will be going there very shortly. But before we do, I just want to just say, first of all, I thank God for each of you being here. I pray God has been blessing you and encouraging you during this season. This season is not always easy for everybody. Amen. Everybody doesn't have a lot of family and a lot of friends to surround them. But during this Thanksgiving and this Christmas and the New Year season, I want you to pray for those who may be by themselves. I want you to pray for those who struggle with depression and anxiety. I want you to pray for those who may be just living alone. And at the, in these moments, they may feel even more alone during this time. I want you to reach out to them. I want you to pray for them. And not only that, I want you to be the hands of God to call them to speak to them, to encourage them, to visit them if you can. I know this is a different season, but if they're open to that, to visit them, send them a card of encouragement, amen. Send them a text message, send them a voicemail, amen. Just let them know that you're thinking about them. Just do your part to encourage. When we talk about the season of giving, this is not just about presence, amen, but we can give a little bit more of ourselves, amen. We can be a blessing to somebody else. God has given each of us gifts, and this is a time to exercise those gifts. And even maybe a gift of encouragement, a gift of helps. Amen. We talked about my, my we know my, we just lost my grandmother. We always said grandma had a, uh, a phone call ministry where she would just call lots of people just to check on them, to encourage them. And I, I, I engage each of you to do the same, to call somebody, to encourage them, to say, to tell them that you're thinking about them, to let them know that they're loved, that they're appreciated, because you never know how meaningful your words can be. Amen? Amen. We're going to go quickly to the word here. Again, I said we're following Luke chapter 19, and we'll be looking at the first 10 verses there in St. Luke. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And the word there in Luke 19, verse 1 reads, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, 
the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house since he is also, he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. May I pray with you, Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you touch us in these few destiny moments. Allow us to have an acute sense of awareness relative to what you're trying to say to us in terms of how you're trying to shape and mold us, in terms of how you're trying to push us along the path of purpose that you have designed for each and every one of us. Let us be aware and be ready to move our feet, our minds, our hearts, our spirits. Let them be open to the change that you're rendering in our lives even right now. But most of all, do not allow us to leave this moment unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen, and God bless you. We're concluding our series this morning, Hey God, What's the Plan? And today we're really going to discuss the why and the where. We've already talked about the who. We talked about the who is you, regardless of where you are, you are the chosen person in this plan. You are the main story. You are the main character in your own destiny and in this story. The who is you. We talked about the what, and then we asked, what does God require of us? You know, to do justice, to 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 love mercy and to love kindness and to walk humbly before our God. And we not only talked about the what, but then we talked about the when. And we made that relative to the story of Lazarus, that even when it seems like it's too late, God can still turn that situation around. And today we want to talk about kind of the why and the where. And, and we're asking the question, if you will, the focus question of this message and this lesson is, why am I right here right now? Why am I right here right now? And I wanted to put that in the context of several members, several people in the Bible and relative to where they were at certain times in their life and see if maybe we can identify with some of these people. Maybe we can identify with these characters in the Bible and their situations and maybe there are some similarities between where they were, not only physically, but where they were more spiritually and emotionally. And maybe that lines up with where we are in our lives right now. First person I really wanted to talk about was Zacchaeus, who was the, the, the main character of our text. In the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is looking it's not fair to really to say he's looking for Jesus. Zacchaeus is looking for something. And he's hoping that Jesus is the key to the resolution of his question. He, he recognizes that there is an emptiness on the inside. And all of us have been where Zacchaeus is. And somebody right now, you might be there now. And it's okay. It's okay not to even know which questions to ask. It's okay not to know where you are and not even to know what, what, what questions to ask. We're, we, I, I've said this so many times with my friends. We're now in, in an age where everybody thinks they know everything. I, I, I really seek the days where it was okay to say, I don't know. I, I wish we could go back to the days where it, it was all right. Let's make saying, I don't know, uh, a, a, a positive thing again. Because before Google, sometimes we just didn't know. We couldn't look it up. We couldn't do an a internet search and then tell people we're doing our own research. That's, that's not how it worked. That's not operating. Sometimes we just did not know. So when we did not know, we said those words. When we were asked, when we were engaged, we simply said, I don't know. And we need to bring I don't know back because sometimes, you know, you don't. <laughs> you really just don't know. 
And, and that's kind of the stage where Zacchaeus is, and, and maybe somebody can identify with that. He, he doesn't know where he is. He knows he needs something, but he's not sure what that something is. But he, but he believes that Jesus knows what it is. He, knows, he believes that Jesus knows what it is. Now, many of us know that Jesus is the answer in himself, but Zacchaeus didn't know that. Zacchaeus just had heard enough about Jesus to think that this void that I'm feeling in my life, if I can get to Jesus, maybe he can answer some of the questions that I have. And some of us are in that similar stage with Zacchaeus. We don't, we don't even know what we don't know. So, and when you don't know what you don't know, then you don't know what to ask. You don't even know which questions to ask. And it's okay to be there because no matter how well put together the people around you seem to be, everyone has been in this phase. Everyone has been in this stage. There, every one of us have been Zacchaeus there in the sycamore tree. Zacchaeus is there in the sycamore key to get a view of Jesus, to try to have a view of where he is, to try to have an encounter with him because Zacchaeus did not know who he was, and he did not know the source of the void that he was experiencing in his life. And I, I, again, I want to encourage somebody that all, every single one of us have been there, and some of us, being honest, might be there right now. Some of us have been to a place where we thought we knew the answer, and we've been through enough to recognize the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Get that. The more information you have, the more you recognize that I, I, I don't know the answer because it's just like scientists when they take the telescope and they look into space and then they don't, they don't know what they're expecting to see. And then they look into space and they realize the, the better the, the telescope, the more they recognize what they have not been seeing. So then they realize I need to get a better telescope because there's more stuff out there that, that I didn't even know was out there. Then they said one time they were looking at a void. It was just a small little void. It was like a rectangular void, and it looked like nothing was there. But the problem was they just didn't have a, a strong enough telescope. They got a stronger telescope, and then they recognized that there were multiple galaxies in what seemed to be nothing. And uh, what I'm saying is that the more they, they realized and the more they encountered, and the more they knew, the more they recognized that which they did not know. And the same is in life. Sometimes the more we learn, the more we realize what we don't know. And sometimes the best thing for us is to be satisfied with what we don't know. Sometimes we don't know, and it's fine not to know. It's fine to understand and that I, the more I know, the more I recognize I need to depend on God. Sometimes the more I know, the more faith I have. Because I recognize there's more out there that I need to have faith for. I wish y'all wish I were with me. In, in, in February of 2020, we were having faith that God was protecting us from things. And we didn't know at the time he was protecting us. We talk about danger seen and unseen. There was an unseen danger out there that we did not know about that God was yet protecting us from. And the more we knew, the more we recognized how much God had been protecting us from found out later my family had spent uh, 2019 in uh, that 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 winter we'd been in in San Francisco come to find out that it was already there when we went there and then my wife and I were in New York City a few months later didn't know it at the time but it was already there too but then we found out later we had to praise God afterwards sometimes you say praise God in advance sometimes you had to praise him later because you didn't know what you should have been praising him for <laughs> Well, praise God, I said, Lord, thank you for protecting us from something that, that could have gotten us. 
but we simply did not know. And that's simply where Zacchaeus is. He's in a space where he does not know. And he's seeking to understand, to get more knowledge and information about where he is. His answer is Jesus. But he comes from a place of ignorance because he did not know. Now, I want you to compare. There's a nuanced difference between Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree and the prodigal son in the pigsty. They are both about to have a revelatory moment. But the difference is where they came from and what they knew. Zacchaeus did not know that Jesus was the answer. Zacchaeus just simply knew he had a void in his life and he needed it to be filled. And he had heard enough about Jesus to think that Jesus may point him in the right direction. Now, the difference with the prodigal son is the prodigal son had already been in the house. He left the house. Finds, spends all the money that he has, finds himself in the pigsty. And then when he gets there, he begins to appreciate that which he already had. The difference is Zacchaeus didn't have it and didn't know where it was. The, 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 the prodigal son knew where it was, had left it, and then once he was away from it, he began to appreciate that which he already had. And let's be honest, all of us have been Zacchaeus and all of us have been the prodigal son too. Because that means we, 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 we had a relationship with God. We got in fellowship with God. And then we left that place of fellowship and relationship with God where we were. And then once we got out of fellowship and we began to see the direness of our circumstances, then we began to appreciate, oh, it was a lot better when I was back there. Things were much better when I was there. Now, now Zacchaeus and, and the prodigal son and the pigsty, they're both about to have a revelatory moment. But the difference is the prodigal son had already experienced what it was like to live inside the house. And sometimes we get there and we fail to appreciate where we are. We fail to appreciate how good God has made it for us. We get a little stagnant and we get a little complacent. And then we don't do some of the things that we should do. And, I, I, and maybe I just need to say I, and you can testify for yourself. Because I am a testimony. I, the other day I was, I, was, I was walking, I was running, I was exercising, I began to pray. And I, I realized that for a couple of days I had not prayed as much as I prayed that day. And I said, Lord, just forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for not praying as I ought to pray. I'm not talking about just those general prayers that you practice. I'm talking about a real prayer where you spend time strategically talking to God about what you're dealing with in your situation and you're specifically requesting help for that problem or for that situation. And, and, and I found myself in a, in a place of where I was apologizing to God and I said, Lord, I'm sorry for, for, fail, for taking you for granted in a way. I'm taking you for granted by not praying as I ought to pray and seeking your direction in everything that I do. And sometimes, and that to me is a place of the prodigal son. That's not appreciating the fact that you've been in the house and not appreciating doing the things that you should do. And sometimes we don't do the things we should do because we become stagnant. We become complacent where we are in God. And when we fail to do those things, like the prodigal son, we're slowly sliding and slipping away. It's like I said, it's like we, you're, it's like we simply, slowly fall away from the shore and the waves take us further and further away from God, further and further away from the place in God where we should be. And that's the moment that I had with myself and I said, Lord, please forgive me. Don't allow me to become stagnant or complacent in you and forget to do the things that I should do. 
And that is a prodigal son in the pigsty moment. That's not a Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree moment. But both moments are relevatory in where we're recognizing that in the place where I am, there is something better. I don't have to stay in the place where I am. And that's a good thing to, uh, to understand that no matter where I am right now, I do not have to remain in this place, but God has something better for me. And I And and I'm hoping that somebody can catch hold of that because I don't know where your place is. I don't know what place where you found yourself stuck. But I want you to recognize that you do not have to stay there. You have the power and the authority to come out of the place where you are. First thing, there wasn't shackles on the prodigal son's feet. There weren't shackles on his hand. He was not physically bound by prison bars, but yet he was in captivity. And the only thing that was required for him to come out of that state of captivity is for him to change his mind. His mind began to recognize that there is something better than where I am. Because I've told you before, and I I need you to get it, because and, and when you understand that, that helps you recognize where you are and helps you come out of that, is that we can become comfortable in captivity. We can become comfortable there. I always use the, the analogy of our, our dog. Our dog, she has a cage, but in that cage she has a little bed and she has water and she has food and there's comforts inside the cage. So she becomes so comfortable with her captivity that even after we let her out, as soon as we open the door to the house, she walks right back into her cage because she's comfortable with captivity. And many of us can do the same thing. We become comfortable being captive in our situation because we know where everything is. It's like the same idea of being institutionalized. Some people leave the prison, but sometimes they go back because it's more comfortable to be there because they know where their meals are coming from. They know the structure of the place. They, they, they know the environment, and they're so accustomed to the environment that they'd rather be in a familiar place in captivity than to be outside and then have to figure things out for themselves. They'd rather somebody to tell them when they can use the bathroom, tell them when they can eat, tell them when they can go outside. Because the structure of that place has caused them to be so institutionalized that they cannot seem, they, they cannot seem to have the mental power to live outside a world that is inside, outside in a world that is less structured. So they have become comfortable in their captivity, and many of us are doing the same. Our storms have made us so comfortable. We're so comfortable in that trial. We're so comfortable in that place where we are that we do not even seek to step out. And the only thing that this prodigal son had to do was to change his mind. Only thing really he had to do was remember. He remembered that the servants in my father's house have it better than I do right now. And that's what the devil does. He allows you to become comfortable in your captivity. And if you get so comfortable, you you don't even remember where you came from. But if you take a moment just to remember where you came from, if you remember that God has brought you out of so many other circumstances and so many other storms and so many other trials that I just don't believe he brought me this far to leave me where I am right now. If I just exercise my memory for a moment, I begin to appreciate and understand that God has been so good to me. That's why they said when I, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and what he's done for me, my soul cries out. It begins to give God praise. It begins to say hallelujah. Because I don't believe that my God desires me to live in captivity. And captivity can take on many forms. Sometimes captivity comes in the form of relationships. 
Sometimes we're in hurtful and abuseful, abusing relationships that are hurtful to ourselves, that are hurtful to our purpose, that are hurtful to our destiny. And sometimes we have to relieve ourselves from those hurtful, painful relationships where we literally cannot breathe. And you cannot breathe. And what do they tell you on, when they give you your instructions on the airplane? They said when the, when the oxygen comes down, they said put the mask on yourself before you help someone else. And some of you are out there about to die for lack of oxygen because you're trying to help somebody else and you can't breathe yourself. Before you help somebody else, baby, you have to be able to breathe. So that means sometimes you have to release yourself from relationships that are, simple, that are they're suffocating you because you're trying so hard to help them, but you cannot even help yourself. I'm trying to help somebody who's in a, they're in a painful, they're in an emotionally abusive relationship, they're in a physically abusive relationship, they're in a relationship that is wrecking their destiny right now, and they're wondering, what should I do right now? Why am I here right now? And I'm telling you right now, there is liberation, there is freedom outside of where you are. When you exercise in your mind the power to understand that, my God, through God, I can do all things. There is nothing that is impossible for me. I can step out of this because even though I'm trying to help them, I can't help them if I can't help myself. How can I, I can't get put, I can't put the oxygen mask on my daughter if I pass out first myself. I have to put it on myself so I can breathe, so I can help somebody else breathe. So I'm telling somebody right now who's about to suffocate before you try to help somebody else breathe, baby, you need to be able to breathe yourself. The word says you ought to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I'm telling you right now, you need to exercise some self-love because you don't even know how to love that person until you know how to love yourself. Mm. Trying to help somebody. Because you're saying it's out of love. You say, it's because I love them so much. It's because I want to help them so much. But baby, you don't even know what love is if you don't know how to love yourself. You can't help them breathe if you suffocate before you get the mask on them. You need to relinquish yourself. You need to relieve yourself of this relationship so that you can be in a place where you need to be so that you can help somebody else. Paul put it this way. He said, he said, sometimes I need to refresh myself. He said, because in the middle of me giving the gospel to everybody else, I don't want to do that and myself be lost. I need to refresh myself in God. I need to refresh myself in the word. I can't keep pouring out to the place where I'm empty. And then I've given somebody something that I no longer have myself. How can I give you that which I no longer have? At what point can I keep pouring out till I'm empty? And then yet you're so needy, you're still trying to pour my empty pitcher into your mouth. But you've already emptied it and I can't give you anymore. And sometimes in a relationship, you need to recognize where you can't give anymore. And God is not expecting me. God does not anticipate me giving something that I do not have. God only requires that from you, that which he has already put in you. But if somebody drains every drop of what he's put in you and they're still looking for more, baby, that's not the type of relationship you need to be in. You need to let that go. Somebody say, let it go. Put in the comments, hashtag it, let it go. All it took was for the prodigal son to recognize in his mind that it was better where I was. I do not have to stay here. Do not have to stay here. 
And some of you are in that place where you're, you're like the prodigal son. You need to remove yourself from that relationship because you've seen better and you know what better is. But then some of you are Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. You don't know what better looks like. But you believe there's something better than what you have. And that, that's a trick of the devil that somebody is trying to trap you in a relationship because you don't know what better looks like. Oh, that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's emotional abuse right there when somebody knows what better is, but they're trying to trap you in a relationship because you simply don't know what better looks like. But like Zacchaeus, you believe there's got to be something better than this. And I came to tell you, baby, there is something. There's something better than this. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to be stuck there. You don't have to remain there. Don't get comfortable in your captivity. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And be not entangled with the yoke of bondage again. I'm telling you, there is something better. God has something greater for you. And I'm encouraging somebody who feels trapped, who feels stuck right now, that you can come out of that situation where you are right now. Because God has something better for you. I want you somebody to just touch yourself and say, God has something better for me. He did. He indeed, he has something better for you. So if you find your place, yourself in the place of Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree where you don't know what better looks like, but you believe that there is something better. Or you find yourself in the pigsty where the pro- like the prodigal son that you know what better looks like and you're just not experiencing right now. In both situations, you have the power in your mind to step out of where you are. And get to the place where Jesus would have you to be. Jesus told Zacchaeus, after he came to his house, he said, salvation, deliverance, freedom. I'm breaking the chains of captivity in this house today. Today, salvation, liberty, and freedom are coming to this house. And I'm declaring that into the life of somebody right now. Today, somebody say today. Today, salvation, liberty, freedom. God is breaking the chains of bondage in somebody's mind, in your heart, in your life, over your home, over your finances, over your relationships. Right now, we're declaring it in the name of Jesus. It is done. So some of you may have felt like you're Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. And some of you may feel like you're the prodigal son in the pigsty. But let me give you a few other people in the Bible that we're going to talk about. There is Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And we're going to compare him to Jonah on a ship headed to Tarsus. There's Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And then and he's on his road on the road to Damascus for the purpose of persecuting the saints. And then there is Jonah on the ship headed to Tarshish. And he's fleeing. <laughs> and I always laugh when I when I think about it. He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Which just utterly ridiculous. But that's what he's trying to do. So let's compare and contrast the two. Now, both of them are in a place of disobedience. Both of them are in a place of disobedience. Saul is in a place of disobedience. He's trying to, to, to persecute and kill the members of the church of Jesus. And, and, and Jonah is trying to escape his assignment that God has given him to go to Nineveh to minister and preach and to save the people of Nineveh. Both of them are in a place of disobedience. The difference is, again, similar. Saul has not had his encounter with God yet. He has not yet had his encounter with God. Jonah knows who God is. Jonah is God's prophet. He knows who God is. He is God's messenger. 
But despite being God's messenger, he still, we still find him here on that ship headed to Tarshish in a place of disobedience. And again, just like Zacchaeus and just like the prodigal son, we have all been Saul and we've all been Jonah. We've, all, we've been both of them. We've been Saul. Saul was when we didn't know better. When we were out in the world and we really didn't know better, we were doing everything that we were grown enough to do. And then, I, I praise God, we, we all had a moment. I had a moment where God brought us to him. Had a moment where it may not have been him shining his light through heaven and, and, and Saul literally looking up into heaven and having a conversation with Jesus. It may not have occurred to us like that, but yet we were in a place of disobedience. And usually what happened is we were in a place and something bad, really bad, was about to happen. And then we recognize, ooh, I, I, don't, I don't need to be here anymore. It may have been an abusive relationship. It may have been somebody firing some shots at the club. Y'all, y'all, not, with me. y'all not with me here. It may, it may have been a bad accident. We were headed to the wrong place, and suddenly we're in an accident, and God saved us, and, and, he, and he preserved our lives. But wherever it is, whatever your moment is, whatever your road to Damascus moment was, we all found ourselves in a place of disobedience and God preserved our lives and showed us that there was a better way. But similarly, we've all been Jonah too. Somebody say, you knew better. we, We knew better. Jonah, he knew better. But yet he was headed to Tarshish on the ship, headed in the wrong direction. And you know what? Sometimes you encounter a storm because God's trying to get your attention. Some of our storms is because God's trying to get our attention. In fact, I, I preached a sermon relative to this text and I talked about unnecessary storms. And that's a storm that's not necessary because God is sending the storm or allowing the storm because of our disobedience. And I know we don't like to talk about it. We want to talk about everybody getting your blessing and making all your money and, and getting, all the, getting all these cars and other things. But sometimes we just need to simply break it down and talk about disobedience. Because sometimes we simply just didn't do the right thing. Sometimes it's not the devil, it's not the enemy, it's not our haters. It's that we got in our own way. And I've said it before and I'll keep saying it until we get it. The person who has been most detrimental to your destiny looks at you, looks back at you in the mirror every morning because that's us. We have gotten in our own way. In fact, Paul didn't say I fight enemies and I fight haters any day, every day. He said, I fight my flesh every day. I'm fighting with myself. It is a daily fight. I die daily. Not my enemies, not my haters die daily, but I die daily because I'm fighting with my own flesh because I get in my own way. And Jonah, the storm that he encountered was because he was disobedient to what God has said. And I came to tell somebody today, it's simple, as simple as turning around when you're disobedient. I simply need to turn this around. I don't need to keep going down this road because I know where it's headed. Why? Because there is a way that seems right in the man and the end whereof is the way of death. I am headed towards death and destruction if I keep following my own path. So I simply need to turn around. And many of you recognize, I told you, your spiritual GPS is just like your natural GPS. When you're going the wrong way, that natural GPS will say in 200 feet, make a U-turn. And some of us, our our spiritual GPS keeps telling us, turn around 200 feet and 400 feet and 600. It keeps telling you to turn around. 
And we're ignoring all the signals. We're ignoring all the signs. Jonah, he's on the ship. And then the way all of a sudden he encounters a storm, it seemed like that would have been a signal to Jonah. Like, "Uh uh-oh, Lord, he's, he's trying to get my attention. They start throwing things off the ship. And the storm just gets worse. Seems at some point Jonah should have said, God's trying to get my attention. It took them, the men, to cast lots. Basically, they drawing straws, and, and Jonah drew the short straw. And Jonah said, oh, my bad, guys. See, I'm trying to run away from God. And these men say, why are you, why are you, are doing, why are you putting us in such jeopardy? To try and run away from the Lord your God. And eventually we know Jonah was swallowed by the fish. And he, he spent the three days there before he got his life right. Before he turned around. But I came to tell somebody, don't wait for the storm to come to turn around. Don't wait for God to allow the storm before you turn around. You know you've messed up. You know you're doing wrong. You know you're not in a place of obedience. Don't make God turn you around. But when you find yourself in a place of disobedience like Jonah, just turn yourself around. Seek, deliver, seek, seek forgiveness. God, I know I'm not where I should be. But Lord, help me turn this situation around. Help me to find your path so that I can be in line with your word. And if someone right now, you're like Jonah on the ship. You're like Saul on the road to Damascus. God has that same favor. God has that same spirit. Of the prodigal son's father, his arms are wide open, welcome, waiting to welcome you home. If you turn around, God can set you back on the path of your destiny. Two final people I want to talk about and I'm finished. I want to talk about David at Ziklag. And I want to talk about Job in the land of us. Talk about David at Ziklag and Job. We know Job. In the land of us. Now, Job and David's circumstances are also similar. But there's also some nuanced differences. Job, when he is tested by God. Now, God has allowed the test to come in his life. Job is an established man. He's losing all that he has. His his sheep, his goats, his his cattle, his children. He's losing. Buildings are falling down. He's losing his health. He's losing all of these things, and he's in a place where many of us are. And notice in all of these scenarios, we're in a questioning phase, a phase where we're asking questions. Zacchaeus is asking questions of God. He's trying to figure out where he needs to be. The prodigal son is asking questions. Isn't it better that I go back to my father's house? They're they're in a, a questioning stage, a questioning Phase. Saul is in a questioning phase that I'm doing the wrong thing, but yet I, I don't know what I should do. Uh, then, then we find Jonah in a questioning phase. He's trying, Jonah's question in his mind is more philosophical because if you understand the text, he's trying to figure out why God would send him to a wicked people and save a wicked city. Why would God send me there? But he's in a questioning phase here, and we're all in a questioning phase, no matter where you are, because you don't know all the answers. Therefore, we all have questions. Somebody say it with me. Say, we all have questions because God's ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And even as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways and thoughts above our thoughts. So no matter where you are in your situation, you have questions when we all find ourselves in a questioning phase. So did Job. Job is wondering, Lord, why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? Why am I experiencing this loss in my life? Why am I struggling 
with what's going on in my life? Why am I losing my children? Why am I losing all my possessions? What have I done to cause me to be in this place? In fact, most of the book of Job is dedicated to Job's friends asking these very questions. You must have been wrong or you must have sinned or you must have done something wrong to find your place to to find yourself in a place like this where you're being tested of God. They're questioning why Job is going through all of this. And similar to Job, David is asking similar questions there in Ziklag. He's like, God, now you appointed me, anointed me as the chosen king over Israel, over your people. But yet I have gone out to battle and to war. And when I come back three days later at Ziklag, the whole encampment is burned down and the women and children have been taken away. Why are you allowing this storm to come into my life? And somebody's right there. Somebody's right there. You're like David. You're like, Lord, I, I feel like I'm doing wrong, but, but it seems like things, upon, I'm losing things. This seems like it's a time of loss in my life. I keep losing things. Some of you like Job too. Lord, what have I done? I, fi- I feel I have been righteous. I feel I, I've been praying like I ought to pray. I, I've been seeking you. I've been consecrating myself to you, and yet I'm experiencing loss in my life. What is the purpose of what's going on with me right now, even when it seems like I'm doing your will. And we've all been there. Some of us are there right now. Lord, I'm trying to do your will the very best that I can, but yet it seems like I'm experiencing trials. I'm experiencing storms. And the first thing I want to remind you of is that, God, that, that, that there is no temptation that's, that's, that, 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 is, that is unique to you. All temptations are common. Everybody is going through something. And the problem with many of us is because we live Facebook fabulous and social media conscious that that we see what everybody else appears to be doing and we don't even know what they're struggling with or what they're going through. Just because they put a pretty face on their situation does not mean they're not encountering a crippling storm. Because I'll remind you again of Legion. Legion, we thought they thought Legion was crazy until they found out what was what was in Legion. They, they said, well, this man's crazy. We're chaining him up and in tune, and, and he's, he's living amongst the tombs, and, and, but he's alive. But the very demon that came out of Legion went into the swine, and it killed a whole flock of swine, and they went down and, and drowned themselves in the sea. So that very thing that made us think Legion was crazy could kill somebody else, and somebody right now is putting a pretty face on a storm that might kill someone else. Just because they're smiling through it doesn't mean they're not struggling. Just because they got their clothes on pressed and and their makeup is done well doesn't mean they're not going through a storm, does not mean they're going through a trial that might cripple or even try and kill someone else. So don't ever, don't ever, even even the people that you don't like, your, your enemies, the people that you consider that working against you, don't ever think that somebody is not struggling in their life. We are all encountering some type of storm, but just because they put a pretty face on it, doesn't mean that they're not going through. David was, he, he said, I think I'm doing right. I, Lord, I, I believe I've been following your will, but yet I'm experiencing loss in my life. And I want to give you this because I want you to understand how these men got through it. First of all, we know Job. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him all my appointed time. I, I, I will wait until my change comes. I will wait by faith. That, that until God renders a change in my situation, I am not always going to be here. 
That, 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 that is a mindset that Job has, and it's a mindset that we need to adopt, that wherever I am right now, I will not always be here. David went through many trials. Some of the David's trials David went through were of David's own making. But even though he went through the trial, David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not always going to be here. God is going to bring me out of this. And I need you to get that in your heart and your spirit, that whatever you're struggling with right now, God's going to bring you through this. God's going to bring me out of this. This will not be my final destination. So David, David is going through a storm and a trial, and then he asks and he prays of God. Remember I told you, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm going to all my appointed time. I'm going to wait till my change comes. David goes in prayer for, before God, and, he's, and the Lord tells David, he said, go, you can pursue after this truth. And not only will you pursue, but you shall, without fail, recover all that you have lost. And I noticed something here that David, when he went through his storm, God gave him the power and the authority to recover everything that he lost. And then I noticed with Job, the reward was a little bit different. He lost some stuff. He didn't get the same things back. He got new things back. But what he got back new was twice as much as what he had before. And then I begin to question God. I'm like, Lord, some people in the situation of David, some people in the situation of Job, David got back what he lost. Job got back new stuff and he got back more double than what he had before. And I begin to understand the difference, the nuance of the difference there is that David's trial is because God was showing David something. And some of you right now, you're in a situation like David. God is allowing you to go through the trial because he's trying to show you something. I wish somebody would get that. He's trying to show you that he is yet God, that he's yet in authority, that he yet has power, and that no matter what you're going through, God can deliver you out of that situation. He's showing you something out of this trial. But then I begin to ask, God, well, well, Lord, well, what was the difference between David and the difference between Job? Job received, seemed to receive a lot more for his trouble. And the difference is God said, God, through Job, he said, I was trying to show David something. But through Job, God said, I was trying to show the devil something. He said, I was, I was the one getting the glory out of this situation. And I came to let you know that whatever trial you're going through, whatever storm you're going through, right now, even when you're inside God's will, I want to let you know one or two things are happening. Either God's trying to show you something or God's trying to get the glory out of your situation. But in every situation, in every storm, in every trial, whether he's showing you something or whether he's getting his own glory, he's going to make sure that you're compensated for everything that you've gone through. Somebody say everything. No matter what I'm going through right now, I'm trusting God that he's going to take care of me. He's going to make sure that if I'm like David, I'm going to recover everything that I've lost. But if I'm like Job, God's going to get the glory out of my life. No matter the situation, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to believe that he's going to bring me through this trial. He's going to bring me through this storm. And no matter where I am right now, God is yet in control. God yet sees everything. God yet knows everything. God yet has the power. Somebody say God has the power to bring me out of where I am. 
to bring me out of this health situation, to bring me out of this financial trial, to bring me out of this relationship problem, wherever I am, God has the power, God has the authority, and God has the will to bring me through. You're not by yourself, but the Lord is with you. I came to tell somebody today, you're not by yourself, but wherever you are, God is right there with you. Everybody standing to your feet. Say that with me. Say, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. God. God. My God. God. He's with me wherever I am in my trial, in my storm, in my situation. I'm not by myself, but the Lord himself, he is. He is with me. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise for his word, God. So when I'm asking the question, why am I right here, right now? Maybe I'm Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree. Maybe I'm looking for Jesus to give me a better understanding of what I'm going through. Maybe I'm the prodigal son in the the pigsty. It's just time for me to return, to go back to what I've known, to go back to where I came from. Maybe I've simply gotten so so comfortable where I am that I've forgotten to do that which I'm supposed to do relative to God. I'm not praying. I'm not reading his word like I should. I need to renew my relationship with God. Maybe it's simply a matter of disobedience. Maybe I'm like Saul and I'm being disobedient because I haven't sought God's word. Or or maybe I'm like Jonah. I'm being disobedient because I'm defying God. I'm questioning God. and The place I am in is a place of defiance. And I believe I can do this on my own without God's instruction. And maybe I simply just need to turn myself around to get back in line with what God desires for me. Or finally, maybe I'm doing what God told me to do. Maybe I'm there right now, but I'm still experiencing loss like Job. Or I'm still experiencing loss like David. I'm still going through the trial. But let me be reminded and encouraged that like David, God might be showing me something and whatever I lose in this place, God's going to give me the power to recover it all. Or maybe I'm in a place like Job and God's trying to show the world. He's trying to show the devil something. He's trying to get the glory out of this situation. But whatever I lose, God is going to restore double for my trouble. He's going to restore double for my trial, double for my embarrassment. Because he's simply trying to get the glory out of my life. Wherever I find myself, I'm going to trust God that he's going to bring me through this trial. May I pray with you, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word to help to encourage us wherever we are in you. We're in a place of of, of questioning, a place of disobedience, a place of simply not understanding our trial and our storm, wherever we are. Lord, let us be comforted by knowing that you are with us. Comforted by your word that knows that no weapon that's formed against us shall prosper. Comforted by understanding that 
All things are working together for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. For those of you who've been watching us by social media, we pray God's blessing over your life. We trust that wherever you are in God, you'll trust him to bring you through and know that he has the power to restore, to rebuild, to heal, and to deliver. We praise God for you until we shall see you again. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by give a fun. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.